Welcome to Point by Point, conversations, interviews, and legal commentary for today's business professionals. Brought to you by Waller. Like many areas of healthcare, the dental industry has come nearly to a halt for all non-essential or emergent procedures. Against that backdrop, we examine the impact of the epidemic on dental providers and discuss best practices to shore up financial operations and position their organizations for the near term and long term. Welcome to Point by Point. This is your host, Morgan Ribeiro. Today on the podcast, we are visiting with members of the firm's dental industry team, Don Moody, Eric Scalzo, and John Arnold, who are all partners who provide healthcare and M&A counsel to dental clients across the country. And today we are going to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on dental practices and how dental providers can best position themselves during these very uncertain times. Don, John, and Eric, thank you for joining us today. I'm, I'm looking forward to this discussion. You all work with dental practices across the country of all shapes and sizes. To kick things off, I'm, I'm curious, you know, regardless of the size of the practice, what are some common questions or concerns you're hearing from your dental clients? Don, I'll start with you. Thanks, Morgan. Uh, you know, it's a challenging time for, I think, for most companies in this industry. We've heard from uh, some of the largest DSOs in the country down to some of the, you know, the small startups, and all of them are seeing uh, some similar problems. It ranges from we have providers who have been diagnosed. What do we do about that? To we're, we don't have any patient flow. We're thinking about furloughing or laying off employees. And then increasingly, what are, what about these funding opportunities that are available? Uh, can we take advantage of this the, the Paycheck Protection Program or the EIDL emergency loans? Or we're hearing about these Medicare funds that are being issued. Uh, how do we take advantage of those as people sort of scramble to try to keep their companies and practices uh, in whole? So, Don, you mentioned you know some of the available funds that are happening primarily through the stimulus uh, packages, Paycheck Protection Program, SBA loans. Um, Eric, any solutions that are available to the dental practices at the moment? And can you speak specifically to any of those available funds, um, whether or not they're loans or grants? anything that they should be sure they're looking into right now? So with the PPP loans, you know, the first round of funding was um, was all claimed ex- extremely quickly. It's about 13 days till the entire amount was was claimed in its entirety. Some companies have, have been giving that money back. And so um, it may open up uh, a line of funding for, for additional companies. The second round of funding was also approved by Congress. Uh, applications have been or are being accepted um, Monday morning, April 27th, starting at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. It's anticipated those funds will also be utilized and claimed very quickly, but there's already discussions around around three of funding for the PPP loans. So if you are interested and, and think that you may qualify, you should definitely be speaking with your lender now um, or looking for lenders that are participating in the SBA program to, to line up your application either for round two or for round three if and when it happens. Great. Don, anything you would add to to that in terms of funding or, you know, other avenues that dental practitioners should be looking into right now? Yeah, I would say on the, in, on the Main Street loans that, first of all, those are not forgivable. Unlike the, the PPP loans, the Paycheck Protection Program loans, those are not forgivable. So for, the, for those companies, groups, DSOs that have existing debt, you're going to need to coordinate with your current lenders about that. 
There's also a, a leverage ratio test. In other words, how much debt you have uh, in comparison to your EBITDA. And so for companies that have existing debt, you may uh, exceed that uh, threshold already. So um, it's something that we would encourage companies to look at or groups to look at. But if you have existing debt, you're going to need to coordinate with your with your lenders about it. So I'm going to jump to a somewhat related topic here. But I think there's been a lot of questions that you all have received about whether or not you know practices qualify or don't qualify for certain loans. And just this week, Modern Healthcare published an article stating that private equity backed physician practices are shut out of small business stimulus funds. Is that true or is there, it, it seemed very black and white in the article. Are there nuances to this and, and what should uh, dental practices be looking at to kind of weigh their options here? Don, I'll, I'll start with you on that one. So, uh, you know, a couple of things on that. One is that it really focused, that article focused on private equity owned practices. And you certainly see that a lot in the medical professions, dermatology, gastroenterology, vision, things like that, because a lot of states do not have a corporate practice of medicine. However, there's only a handful of states that don't have a corporate practice of dentistry. So uh, in the vast majority of states, you're going to see the the more common DSO PC structure. So that private equity ownership of the practice itself really isn't applicable very much in in dental. and, and, I, and I would say that certainly DSOs that are that are owned by private equity, there are restrictions on affiliate rules under the Small Business Administration has some what's called affiliate rules that would aggregate your, the DSOs employees with other private equity sponsored companies that are owned by that private equity fund. So that 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 does often pre- prevents uh, you know DSOs from applying. But I will say that we've worked with a number of of DSOs where their practices have applied for the PPP loans. And uh, we think that there's an avenue for that, depending on your structure, depending on your agreements. Um, so it's, I think there's an opportunity there for those DSOs that are structured with a man- separate management company and, P- and PCs that are managed or PLLCs. In another episode of our podcast, I interviewed Beth Pittman and Nathan Kotkamp more generally about telemedicine and HIPAA. But John, can you speak more specifically to teledentistry? What should our listeners know about teledentistry and how does that allow them to continue to provide services to their patients during these pretty challenging times? And and what regulations around teledentistry should they be aware of? Thanks, Morgan. That's a great question. I would encourage listeners to check out what Beth and Nathan had to say. Um, The government's approach to HIPAA enforcement during the COVID crisis is unique. The Office of Civil Rights, which is effectively the uh, kind of HIPAA police at the federal government level, has stated it's not going to impose HIPAA penalties um, if you're not compliant when serving patients um, in good faith using Zoom or FaceTime or similar technologies. Of course, you should avoid public-facing technologies. You shouldn't be on Facebook Live um, looking in your patient's mouth. Um, In terms of teledentistry, outside of orthodontics, dentistry doesn't necessarily lend itself to telehealth. Um, It's been, uh, I I think, explored um, where you've got a hygienist or a dental assistant chair side with the patient, but teledentistry, um, you know, does have its place right now, and it's an effective way to continue to engage with and care for patients. Uh, You know, it can be used right now to triage patients, conduct problem-focused evaluations, um, all kind of in order to uh, limit office visits with patients. 
um, who potentially need urgent or emergency dental care. Uh, could also be used for follow-up consults to check with patients after essential procedures have, have been performed. Um, and then there's the potential to do some limited consults with patients. Uh, perhaps it's for clear liners, dentures, implants. Um, now's a good opportunity to kind of keep them engaged and interested in those products and services. Uh, states like Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, They've really embraced the use of telecommunications to engage with patients um, during the COVID crisis. Um, other states like Texas, um, unfortunately, have not. So dentists really need to evaluate what is or is not permitted in their state, and more specifically, the state in which the patient's located when they're consulting with them, um, because that's the state law that governs. So if you're in Texas talking to a patient in Oklahoma, you need to be licensed in Oklahoma and kind of Oklahoma's laws are gonna govern that. Assuming the virtual exams, consults, you know, they are permitted, uh, you still gotta be attentive to restrictions or limitations on prescribing um, based on a virtual visit, particularly controlled substances. Um, and you still need to think about issues like informed consent and record keeping, as well as ensuring your malpractice policy covers teledentistry services. Um, there could very well be an exclusion for that. So, John, this is really interesting to me. And, you know, if I'm a, a dental practice, I'm curious, can I, on the reimbursement side, am I, am I going to get paid for these visits? And is it the same as if, you know, I was in the office and, and treating patients? How is the government looking at that or commercial payers? Um, a number of dental insurers are expanding coverage for virtual exams and consults uh, during the COVID crisis. I think uh, United Concordia, uh, for example, uh, but that's still going to be a payer-specific determination, and coverage is not universal for these exams. Um, so, look, we think it's going to be a very important part of how dental care is delivered over the next several months. And um, it's really going to be a good test run, I think, for the post-COVID world. Um, and it may be a situation where it's difficult for dental boards and payers um, to kind of put the teledentistry genie back in the bottle. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting to watch over the next several months. You all work with a lot of practices, DSOs, investors on both the sell side and, and buy side of transactions in the dental industry. Pre-COVID-19, it was an explosive market, and you and your team have represented hundreds of dental practices across nearly every state in the U.S. Things are quiet at the moment as everyone waits for the pandemic to play out. But where do you see things heading in the near future? And do you have clients who are proceeding with transactions? What's what's the market look like right now, Don? I certainly agree with you about kind of historical uh, that it was a very active market. We we helped clients close over 100 deals uh, in 2019, and the first quarter of 2020 was shaping up to be um, sort of equally busy and strong. Uh, we've generally seen that uh, transactions that are in, underway have generally been paused, not all of them. We do have transactions that continue. Uh, but I think for a number of companies, there's they're looking at it as being opportunistic, uh, that perhaps once they put the fire out in their own house, they're looking that, that there are going to be other opportunities to acquire practices or affiliate with practices that haven't fared as well, or they're maybe thinking now would be a good time to align myself with a strong DSO. I've seen how it's hard it is to do this myself. Um, I think a DSO might be a good partner uh, for me on a go forward basis. So, you know, we're hoping that the second half of the year will be, you know, very active uh, folks uh, who are taking advantage of those opportunities. Eric or John, are you hearing the same thing from, from your clients? Anything additional to add to that? 
Thanks, Morgan. We're having a number of conversations with DSOs and dental groups right now about both positioning themselves for growth post-COVID and then using this time to kind of regroup and tackle uh, projects that are important for their kind of long-term success and growth, but uh, may have been pushed to the back burner for a variety of reasons, whether it's just been, you know, deal flows too much, um, focused too much on, on kind of establishing a new de novo office, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, now they have some time to kind of focus on some of these issues that have been pushed to the back burner. So, John, I think, you know, beyond that, as we're looking at those DSOs and, and dental practices that are in growth mode or expect to be in growth mode in, in the coming months, is there um, anything in particular, Eric, that you would would recommend to those practices? Yeah, we're getting calls from a lot of folks in terms of um, kind of focusing on the deal process. You know, we, we've been so busy the past couple of years on the transactions for a number of our clients that we're utilizing this um, this time that the transactions are on, on a bit of a pause to focus on on the process to work on how to streamline the diligence process and, and working on the forms uh, with them to make sure that that post COVID uh, when hopefully there's a flurry of transactions we're in a, in the best position to really hit the ground running and help them take advantage of that time. It seems a lot of our healthcare clients, particularly physician practices and dental practices, are in a bit of a fog right now, um, understandably responding to this initial wave of uncertainty and reviewing the stimulus funding opportunities. But once they've moved past this, say in the next few weeks or few months, what can these practices do to best position themselves for the future and use this time to their advantage? John, I'll start with you. Yeah, now's a good time to kind of dust off your to-do list and uh, find those items that have kind of been on there for a long time but that um, continually get pushed to the bottom. You know, I, I have those at, at my house and um, it work too. So now's a good time to kind of find those items and, and use this time uh, to be productive. And so, uh, you know, some items that we're getting phone calls about and helping clients with right now, kind of building out their compliance policies and training. Um, if you're participating in Medicaid, you generally need a written compliance program. You need a HIPAA compliance manual. You needed to be doing OSHA training. Um, now may be a good time to develop uh, improved onboarding processes for new hires. Uh, you know, may entail background checks, uh, provider exclusion screening, uh, compliance training, um, as well as kind of clinical training for new doctors you're bringing on board. Uh, maybe you haven't gotten around to registering your uh, practice name. Uh, now's a good time to file that federal trademark registration. Uh, clean up your patient credit balances. Just kind of get your house in order. Um, and use this as a chance to regroup? Well, I mean, yes, in the sense that I think it's an opportunity or, or perhaps a good time to revisit compensation models, to take a look at how you're compensating your associate dentist or associate dentist employed by your supported practices. You know, are they on salary and, and in this environment where, where they're not actually working? Is that really the right model? Do you have flexibility in changing that in times like this? Uh, for some people, the answer is yes. For others, no. So I think it's a good time to rethink compensation, rethink your employment agreements. Uh, if we face this kind of crisis in the future, are you prepared for what for the consequences of that? Eric, you had mentioned in some of your comments about 
investors and those looking to, um, you know, potentially acquire practices in the industry and that this might be a good time for that. Um, so I, I'd love to hear some commentary about private equity and other investors um, in the dental space. And then, of course, this isn't all, you know, happy. This is a, a really challenging and, and stressful time for a lot of practices. So what should others be contemplating, whether or not it's, you know, foreclosures, um, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of folks that are, are stretched for money right now with practices being closed. I'd like to get your perspective on on that as well. So folks had a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines going into this and, and with plans to deploy it. Um, I think the plans are still there. As Don said, things are on pause. People are, are testing the waters and trying to get a feel for when this thing is going to let up and what what post covid um, life is going to look like. Uh, we got a couple of folks, I've gotten a couple of new LOIs in hand. Um, as Don said, some of the transactions are still proceeding. They're certainly not proceeding with the speed that they necessarily were um, a month and a half ago. Um, but but I think there's still an opportunity there for, for folks who are looking to um, take advantage of the, the market and the interest in the space. I think the interest remains and will remain when things return to normal, whenever that is. You all have been working in the dental space for several decades. Have you ever seen anything like this? What's happening currently in the DSO space? Um, you know, in response to the COVID nineteen pandemic, are there are there any comparable times in the industry? Well, this is Don. I'll start since I've been around the longest. Um, been doing the working with DSOs for over twenty five years. Um, no, I've never seen uh, the kind of shutdowns uh, that 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 we were seeing where just nationally every uh, generally every office is shut down except for emergency care it's unprecedented um, we did lift uh, I did live through the 90s so for those who are familiar with the industry there was a lot of meltdown at the end of the 90s a lot of companies ended up in bankruptcy uh, uh, or just sold sold off to someone else and um, you know we were on the, the buy side of a lot of that so representing buyers so again th- there were opportunities um, back at the end of the 90s to to uh, pick up some pretty good assets and uh, you know smile brands as an example of company that that was cobbled together from some of those um, those companies in the 90s that didn't fare very well. And then Steve Bilt was smart enough to put them together and it's turned into a, a very dynamic company. So uh, we're hopeful here that uh, that things will get brighter once we get past this uh, sort of crisis. I think I'll, I'll add to that. You know, as Don said, we, we've never seen it to this extent, but it, we, we have seen flavors of these types of troubles in the industry before, right? I and mean, not every DSO prior to this had, you know, stellar balance sheets and, and never ran into trouble. And so we're able to draw on those experiences. It just happens to be um, you know, multiples of them hitting at once as opposed to kind of onesie twosies in the past, but um, never seen it to this extent, but, but again, have seen these flavors of difficulties and, and troubles in the past and, and help folks either through them, um, you know, work, work through them and come out on the other side or, or wind up if that's the ultimate um, solution um, or, or help folks buy into those, as Don said. Yeah, I've, I've read and, and heard of a number of physicians, physician practices, you know, in, in another area of, of healthcare, um, and that those that are not affiliated with a health system or a large group practice are really struggling um, more than those that are a part of a system. So I'm curious in, in the dental space, are you seeing? 
a similar situation where those that are, you know, one, two physician dental practices versus those that are part of a large DSO, are their issues different or are they all quite similar? This is Don. I, I think there are some differences. I think that it really amplifies the benefits of being with a DSO in the sense that DSOs typically have more capital, They've got more expertise. They have an HR department to deal with layoffs and furloughs and what do you do with with staff and what do you do about compensation and, oh, what is this PPP loan? How do I get that? Um, so a lot of the things that they bring to the table would be very beneficial in this current crisis. And, you know, if I were a solo practitioner or one or two folks, you know, I personally would be thinking about that of, you know, we're we going to face this again and, and later in the year. And do I really want to go through this again? I think I'd rather have a strong partner if I'm going to do that. Right. Exactly. Which I think is, you know, comparable to what other areas of healthcare are seeing, whether or not they're aligned with the health system or another large group. Um, and I would imagine, too, you know, going back to, John, what you covered earlier in the conversation, just having access to things like telemedicine and that infrastructure and software. I mean, if you're a small practice, I don't really know where you begin to get some of these things off the ground and, and running and, and quickly enough to to make a real difference. It's, it's definitely a, a challenge for sure. Um, anything else that you all wanted to, to cover today? Anything to add that I may not have asked? Yeah, there will be some uh, you know positives to come out of this at the end of the day. And I think one of those is going to be around teledentistry, which we talked about earlier. Um, I noted I think it's going to be hard to put the genie back in the bottle, and I, I truly think that's the case. Once, um, you know, providers and dental boards have kind of gotten comfortable with using, uh, you know, virtual visits and exams for, uh, you know, matters that that um, are conducive to that sort of um, interaction, it's going to be really hard to kind of tell doctors after the fact, we're no longer reimbursing you for that. You can't do it. It doesn't meet standard of care. So, you know, I think this is going to be a great trial run. I think teledentistry is going to be here for the next several months. It's going to be a great way to kind of ease patients back into the office. You know, I'm I'm not comfortable going to my dentist right now, um, and I think that kind of comfort level is going to have to uh, change, and it's going to take folks some time to kind of become comfortable with it again, and teledentistry is going to be a smooth transition and nice bridge for that. I do think, um, John, this, this is a good opportunity for uh, – dentists to to advertise to showcase why um, the things they've been doing all along right I mean, infectious infectious disease control is is right up there on the in terms of what's important in a dental practice and so the practices that have been in place pre-covid um, that, that maybe go behind the scenes and nobody really sees what happens in between the patients and and the use of the stericycle and, and the like um, but you know, kind of capitalizing on that might might be something that folks can do to reinstill the faith and the comfort in the dental practice sooner than, say, uh, the, the restaurant down the street or, or you know, some other um, you know, open to the public business. Great, Don. Anything from from your perspective, opportunities that might come out of this, or a result of of the challenges that everyone's faced? Well, I mean, yes, in the sense that I think it's an opportunity or. or perhaps a good time to revisit compensation models, um, to take a look at how you're compensating your associate dentist or, or the associate dentist employed by your supported practices. You know, are they on salary and, and, and in this environment where, where they're not 
actually working? Is that really the right model? Um, do you have flexibility in changing that in times like this? Uh, for some people, the answer is yes. For others, no. And um, so I think it's a good time to rethink compensation, rethink your employment agreements, and um, and uh, you know is. Uh, if we face this kind of crisis in the future, are you prepared uh, for what for the consequences of that? Don, John, and Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Really enjoyed our conversation um, and look forward to chatting with you guys again soon. Likewise, Morgan, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Point by Point, brought to you by Waller. Visit the news and insights section of our website to listen to more episodes, subscribe to the podcast, find show notes and more.